Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 314 with Tiffany Masterson of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. What's going on, Founder Fam? Hope you are doing well, staying healthy and safe wherever you are around the world. Nathan Chan here, CEO and publisher of Founder Magazine, and welcome to another episode. Um, sometimes I share with you what's happening in my world. Crazy times. We're going into a second wave here in Melbourne with uh, the coronavirus. Um so yeah, we're going into lockdown for another six weeks, which is crazy. But uh, please don't worry, we got so much awesome content, video, audio, written content, courses, you name it, so much incredible stuff to help serve you wherever you are, whatever stage of business you're at, whether you're starting a business, whether you want to grow a business, whether you want to scale a business, doesn't really matter. Um, we also got some uh, exciting things happening at Founder, we got some incredible uh, roles that we're hiring for. If you would like to join the founder team, make sure you check out founder.com forward slash careers. And uh, we're also looking like, you know, always looking for great talent to come join the team. We're really on a mission to building the most incredible brand around entrepreneurship that really goes in depth, that shows you what it takes to build and grow a successful business from people that have really done it and will help you in many different ways not just through online courses, not just through podcasts, not just through videos or blogs or magazines, um, but many other ways, software tools. We'll eventually get into all that. We, we're building something really special here, so we'd love to have you join the team if it's something that might be a fit for you. 
All right, so let's talk about today's guest. Uh, her name is Tiffany Masterson, and she created a company called Drunk Elephant. And uh, she sold that company for $845 million. Um, so I talked to her about how that came about, how she came up with this incredible skincare line. So this is quite a recent acquisition. Um, and uh, yeah, pretty much I talked about how she got into Sephora, how she built the brand, how she's fostered the community, how she's built her team. One thing that's really interested is no one ever left the company. So how she's built an incredible culture. I thought that was really, really interesting. We talk about, um, you know, the tough financial conversations that she had to have. And uh, yeah, look, this is an incredible episode. I know you're going to learn a ton. And uh, also, guys, um, I do apologize for the audio if there is any problems for you on your end. Um, I'm using new um, equipment and I stuffed it up on my side, but it still should be pretty awesome quality. But I just wanted to apologize. It only happened for this episode and another one. But look, guys, I hope you are enjoying this show. Please do take the time to leave us a review on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, Pandora, wherever you're listening, uh, Spotify, you name it. We'd love your help. All right, guys, that's it from me. Now I shall the show. The first question I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job? <laughs> well, I, I, I kind of created my job. I, I, I'm a stay, I was a stay-at-home mom of four children, and I was you know, always looking for something extra to do on the side for extra money. And I started selling this bar cleanser on the side. Um, actually, my, my brother-in-law um, and then my brother and his wife um, all kind of, you know, brought this bar to me and said, you know, will you sell it? And so I started selling it in Texas from my house. And um, I really got interested in, you know, while I was selling this bar for a couple of years, I really got interested in, in ingredients. Um, and it wasn't like, you know, the bar was very basic, but, you know, I found that when I was selling this bar to consumers, that they would call me back or email me back and ask me what they should use with it. And they, you know, during that process, they would tell me what was going on with their skin. And I love to help people and I always love to find solutions. So I think during those two years, I really spent a lot of time trying to connect with people. What were their issues? Trying to understand why I had issues of my own on my, with my own skin. I mean, I think this, this, the fact that I was selling this bar sort of led me down this path of learning that I had this passion for learning about ingredients, their roles they play. What are these issues people have with their skin? Could the ingredients we're using be causing those issues? And I started studying, you know, ingredients and taking apart ingredient decks and analyzing the roles that these ingredients were playing and the claims around the products and, you know, not coming from a scientist background at all, really coming from a consumer, you know, as a consumer, I was thinking like a consumer and I was learning like a consumer. And so it was making sense to be kind of in a different way. Um, I started studying the skin itself, the skin organ, how it functions, the acid mantle that's on the surface of our skin, the fact that our skin all has that acid mantle and it all functions the same way, even if it's, you know, even if it's in a different state, um, meaning like some people's skin, um, you know, is, is, is sensitive or sensitized. Um, and we have all different sorts of issues with our skin, but, but really 
kind of drilling down and understanding how skin thrives and what it takes for skin to function, um, you know, well in order for it to be healthy. So I, I, I did that for a couple of years and I really felt at the end of the two years that I was ready to do my own line. I was tired of selling one product. That product was not something we owned. So it was time for me to move on. And I talked to my brother-in-law and just said, I feel like I've learned enough. I want to, you know, I want to help people. And I feel like I've stumbled upon this philosophy that there are certain ingredients out there, certain categories of ingredients out there that we should really be avoiding that we're not avoiding as consumers and that we don't know enough about as consumers. And, you know, I started kind of creating these products on paper, um, just kind of like if I were to go and buy a vitamin C or if I were to go and buy a sunscreen or a glycolic acid product or a, a cleanser, what would that look like? What would, what would they contain? What would I want as a consumer to see on the back of that box? Um, what's my dream product, in other words? And so I started, you know, putting pen to paper and coming up with ideas and choosing ingredients. And, and this, is, this is well before I found a chemist, actually. This, is, this was just me kind of creating these products that I felt, you know, would be just kind of dream products based on my philosophy of avoiding six categories of ingredients. At the same time, you know, I was, um, I was trying to, you know, I, I, I agreed with my brother-in-law that he would be, the, be, be my investor. So I, you know, finally went to a, found a chemist um, after kind of trying to connect with different people. I, I ended up using a chemist in Los Angeles and I sent my ideas to her on paper, my formulations or my ingredient decks. And, um, you know, she came back and said, wow, you know, these are really good. And I mean, obviously I didn't have the amounts on them, but I had the ingredients put together. And she said, you know, these look interesting. They look different and they feel very interesting and innovative. And, you know, I was, I was very uh, inspired by health and wellness. I'm very inspired by, by eating well and healthy foods and, and antioxidants and studying all about supplements. And so that kind of played a role in, in the how I was choosing ingredients also. Um, and I also did a lot of reading and um, researching around what do we need in our daily routine? What, what do people basically need? And what I came up with was a, a low pH balanced cleanser, uh, a moisturizing oil or moisturizer uh, loaded with antioxidants, a vitamin C serum, a glycolic or a exfoliating, a chemically exfoliating serum, um, which is my TLC serum a physical sunblock as opposed to a chemical sunscreen. Um, and that's what I, that's what I launched with. I launched with kind of everything you need and nothing you don't. Um, of that meaning that I was using ingredients that were there to benefit the health of your skin. Um, and only making products that, you know, we need to, that, that represents a whole solution um, for somebody so that they could come into the line, um, try to benefit from the philosophy that I had created um, and see uh, which products were worked best for them. That's how I started. Yeah, wow. So when when was this? This was in 2011 and 12. I really I really worked all of 11, and then all of 12, um, and really most of 13 actually. So let's say probably let's go back and say more more like half of half of 11, all of 12, and all of 13. I launched the line of six products in late 2013 in August 2013 and only on my only on my own little website 
because I really wanted to take a year and see um, what feedback I got. I wanted to hear what the consumers really felt. I wanted, you know, to, to really listen and, and, and have a back and forth with the consumer. I didn't want to just launch and then sort of, you know, but I, I just, I just really knew that I wanted to be in touch with my consumer um, and learn from them. And when they asked me questions, it would force me to continue learning every day and challenge me. Um, and that's, that's exactly what happened. I, I really, really listened and really worked hard on the formulations to tweak them, tweak the packaging where it was necessary, make the changes, because I, I just really wanted to be open to the, the constructive criticism that I would get. And I got a ton of it and it was super valuable and I used it um, to learn more. And my philosophy was resonating really well with the consumers. They had, they had some tweaking and some fine tuning that they helped me, you know, do to the line. And then, you know, once that was over, I was able to then in 2014, uh, around the same time. So I let this happen for a year. And then around late July, 2014, uh, I was ready to present my line at a, at a place called Cosmoprof in Vegas. And I got a, I got, I got, you know, picked to be in the discovery booth or the, the, the discovery room actually it was called. And I was so excited and I had my little booth. It was all white with pops of color and I had my six products and that is where Sephora met me and, and I was able to talk to them about the line and my philosophy. And they told me at that point that they weren't going to pick anybody up for 2015. They only picked up a certain number of brands a year. They weren't interested in picking me up. And, and I was, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I was, I, I wasn't defeated. I was, I, I still was very hopeful. I kind of didn't, I didn't take it very seriously. I kind of thought, okay, well, you know, um, one door closes, another one opens. I, I just kind of, you know, knew in my heart that if it was meant to be, it would. And, and sure enough, two weeks later, uh, Sephora called me and uh, reached out by email and said, you know, is there any way we can talk about a potential partnership? And, you know, they launched me January, 2015. So um, it, it was a very, you know, I, I think I used all of that time in between there to my benefit. I really, really listened. I really learned. I really uh, tried to work with um, my focus group, which, which is who my consumer was um, and, and tweak it to the point that I was ready to really, you know, present it to the right retailers. I was picky. I didn't want to just launch it anywhere. I really wanted to launch it where I felt I would find myself shopping. You know, where would I personally shop for something? And that's really where I wanted the brand to be. Would you be able to share kind of um, how much did it cost like went to, to work with a chemist and do like a first line? How many, how, how many uh, units do you need for, for six products in a line? Cost a lot. I, I ended up with 5,000 units of each product. And um, by the time we formulated them, you know, chose the packaging, did the website, all of that. And I only had, I, I, had, a, I had a contract person doing, helping me with design. Um, and, I was, and, I, and I was doing myself. I was going to the packaging company myself and choosing stuff. So we only had, we didn't, we didn't have an employee. Uh, we had a couple people helping us and that was it. But you know, it was it was around two fifty or three hundred thousand dollars that it cost. Now this was my brother-in-law's money, and you know I didn't put in a dollar because I didn't have any money at the time. Um, but my brother-in-law did have money, and he was he loved to invest in stuff. But he got uncomfortable. You know, after a year, 
he got real uncomfortable and, and wanted to end up getting some of his money back out of it. Um, so, and that is what happened. We ended up eventually, you know, or, or, or you know, later on, um, we ended up bringing in new investors, but, um, and then, and then, you know, he got some of his money back out and he stayed in for a certain amount at a certain percentage. So, um, you know, I was very lucky, um, to have a brother-in-law who was probably being pushed and prodded by my sister, if the truth be known, to, 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 to take that kind of leap of faith and to, to trust that this wasn't, you know, cause I was, I was a housewife from Houston, Texas. I mean, truly, I mean, there was no reason to believe that my philosophy or anything else was going to work in the, in the beauty world. And, um, I just think you have to take risks like that. And I was, I was so convicted and really so, so much believed in my philosophy that I never really had a doubt. And so, and I, and I, it wasn't that I was cocky. It was more that I was so sure and so excited that I had found or stumbled upon this philosophy or, you know, that could potentially help people like it had helped me with my skin. Um, that I, nothing was going to stop me. I just very clear on how this was going to play out. And so I think I presented that to my investor, Charles, my brother-in-law. Um, and I think I presented that that way. And I think that he, he believed in me. So, you know, I was very lucky. Yeah. I'm curious, like, um, at what point in time, uh, yeah, he, he got a bit uneasy and, and like, yeah, needed to, you needed to find an, an, another investor and, and what kind of traction was this before you did, um, like Sephora, um, said they would stock you or, and put in a PO or. Uh, well, so we, I, I found out I was getting into Sephora um, in, you know, late 2014. I just had found that out. And so we had a lot of legwork to do, a lot of work to do. And it was around that time that, you know, he and I had to have sort of a sit down, like figuring out what was the next step. I did end up finding an investor um, who I'd never met before, actually, um, in Dallas, Um it was a it was a business partner, a guy who my brother had done business with before, and I had called my brother and said, "Gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Do you know anybody who might want to invest?" And you know, he said, "Well, you know, I've got this guy I work with a lot named Walter, and he's just a great guy. And well, you should fly to Dallas and present to Walter. You know, pitch pitch him and see if he's interested." And so, you know, it was around that time that we were getting ready to go into Sephora that I went to Dallas and, and, and pitched that to Walter and he went for it and uh, he ended up coming in and, you know, and helping a lot with that difficult, you know, little spot that we hit. Um, he was able to um, give Charles back, I guess, you know, through, through whatever investment he made, give Charles that, get some of Charles was able to get some of his money back. So he was happy um, where he was. And then Walter came in um, and actually another guy named Tom came in who was an attorney came in for just a little bit. So it was, it was just that little bridge of time where, you know, it really, it kind of was like Charles was happy. And then we had a little bit more money and it bought me a little bit more time. Yeah. I see. Because, um, when you, when you get a, a big retail order, um, you have to fulfill it. So you need cash flow to actually right. be able to fulfill it. So is that the position you were in to, to work with Sephora? Well, it, it was real hard because Sephora had no idea uh, how to forecast this line. You know, um, it's it's just it's just it's and, and of course my team didn't have any clue what we might do on Sephora.com. We launched on Sephora.com first, and I still had 
you know, plenty of product left from the 5,000 because I was only selling on my little website. And so we, you know, we, we, we weren't, we weren't producing a bunch of products at that point. Um, but, you know, I had found this girl who was sort of in the industry as far as like packaging and operations. She had some experience in operations and she was kind of helping. And, you know, and of course, Sephora helps a lot too. They sort of guide you. This is who you need to hire. This is who you need to find. This is what you need to do. And really, you know, we launched on Sephora.com and nobody, nobody knew if it was going to work or not. And, and that's kind of like, we'll see, you know, we'll see how you do. Well, we sold out of several of the products right away um, within 11 days. And, you know, thankfully, we had already been, um, we had already started that process of ordering more packaging. And we had also, we also had a manufacturer. So we were just on, on them all the time, you know, um, trying to fill these orders. And, you know, thankfully we were able to do that. We, we, we were associated with some good um, people in the industry as far as, you know, this girl that was helping me. Um, she had, you know, connected me with a good manufacturer, contract manufacturer. And so we were able to do it, you know, and then we, until we weren't. And then we moved to a different manufacturer and a different, you know. So we, we just took it day by day. Um, and just as we, as we got uncomfortable or as we got, to a point where, oh gosh, this is not sustainable anymore. We need to, we need to go bigger now. We need to hire more people, that kind of thing. You know, it just wasn't, we didn't really have a, a plan. Uh, we didn't have a long-term plan. And I say we, but it was really just me. And I had a designer at that point, my brother-in-law, and then, you know, a couple of people that had come on to help contract. So, I mean, we really didn't have uh, this plan, but we, we just, we were open-minded and I reached out as much as I could. Um, to people who knew, people at Sephora, people in the industry to help guide me. And that's just how we did it. And, you know, it ended up working out, you know, very well. And we've really never had, um, we, we landed in a great, a couple of great contract manufacturers and we have an incredible packaging team. And um, we really never had a supply problem. We've always been really able to scale up pretty quickly and, um, and, and make that happen. Yeah, why why do you think that is? We're, you're always manufacturing in the states, right? Always manufacturing in the states, we have, and um, you know, I don't know. I, I sometimes when you go back and analyze things and the way they work out, I mean, my story is very. It just feels very easy to tell, and really living it, it felt very natural and easy. Like it, it, I, it never felt like I was struggling to force something to work. It. It all felt very, at the, at the risk of sounding corny, it, it all felt very um, fateful, you know, very like things were just happening. And, and it, it was, it was kind of like we, you know, you feel lucky um, to be, you know, having things happen the way they happen. But it did always feel very much like a God thing. Like, okay, this is, this is happening for a reason. I mean, I keep stumbling into little um, opportunities and situations that, really felt sort of like not completely in my control, but they were all happening in such a way that you sort of, it was, it was a very good experience. It was a very, you know, I, I don't know how else to say it. It was, it was, it was surprising and it was all very, it all just folded out, unfolded very naturally. Yeah. Interesting. So fast forward to now, um, are you still active in the company because you, you've sold it now, right? Very. Yeah, yeah. Well, very active. Um, I mean, I'm I'm as active as I ever was, and I actually 
you know, one of the things I would say, I mean, to an entrepreneur starting out, um, I actually think that when you start out doing something you love and, you know, it's something that you want to build and grow and you believe in, what you, what you find yourself doing day to day in those early, early months or the early years of, of, of building a brand, that's really where I think you should be. In other words, I think that, you know, what I was doing was I was formulating products on paper. I was coming up with ingredients and I was coming up with these, these product stories. I was choosing products. I wasn't looking at trends. I wasn't looking at other brands. I was designing the packaging with my designer and choosing the colors. I, I designed the logo myself, the marketing, the copy, the design. I, I wrote all the copy. And that's what I really love to do. I, I, I you know, help um, uh, conceptualize all of the videos we do on social media. I like to go on social media and answer the questions. And that's how I learn. And that's how I grow. And so those are kinds of the things that I was attracted to in the beginning, the things I did really well. And now that we've grown so much, I mean, I think I've, I've seen where I've seen some founders, I'm not going to say go wrong because we all have our path and we all learn along the way, or I've seen some founders sort of struggle and start to say, wait, what do I do now? Is when you have somebody then who tries to then be also the CEO, also the CFO, also the, you know, the designer. You know, you can't you can't wear all those hats and be and be successful. You have to de- you have to be able to delegate. You have to be able to choose people who know more than you do in the areas that you're not strong in. And so, you know, I always really knew that about myself. I always really knew I, I didn't belong in finance. I, you know, I should not be touching uh, certain parts of the business at all, like operations. That's not my strength. And so, you know, I, I, I realized that I needed to find people in the industry who were the best in class at these things that I wasn't good at. And I think that's where a lot of founders can go wrong is to try to wear too many hats um, because it doesn't work, you know? Yeah. So let's actually talk about delegation and team because when, um, cause I, I, to be honest, I didn't know about drunk elephant, um, but uh, mm-hmm. definitely uh, all the ladies in our team did. And also uh, my partner, and um, uh, they, they were all really excited. So you've done something very special with the brand. Oh, but, that's nice. But also, I want to talk about that. But coming back to it, when I started, you know, looking into you and your success and and the brand, one thing that I found very interesting was the fact that apparently, now please correct me if this is true, but apparently. Um, no one left the company. Like you had, I think it was like, like still to this day, like 60, 80 staff or so, and, and no one had left. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I've got 113 and um, actually three people have resigned um, and two, and one has come back. So I've had two people uh, officially resign from the company since 2013. Um, and we didn't have anybody in 2013, but we started hiring people in 2014 and 15 and 16, 17 and 18. Um, so we have 113 people now and, um, you know, and that's, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of that. Uh, we have a wonderful culture. All of my employees before I sold the company, every single person was an owner. And so every single person, you know, had a stake and, and could say, look, they, they, they're a part of this. They're a part of building something with me. And, and we were all in it together. It's very much of a, a 
It's a very fun, loving team culture. Um, it's not competitive. We're not competitive with other brands and we're not competitive with each other. And we're all in it together and we all uh, get to share in the prize at the end of the day. And I think that that created, you know, this environment where it was just, it was very fun. And, you know, and, and I still haven't, I have had one person leave since um, we closed the company. Um, and, you know, unfortunately she'd gotten another job and, and, you know, so, but it, and that, and that's, and that's, that is what it is that I, I think that um, that's going to happen, but yeah, I think that's one of my things that I'm most proud of is my culture and the people. Yeah, that's really interesting. So um, all of those people were, I assume, on a, an, an ESOP, Employee Stock Options Plan? Uh, yes, they were all, they're, they're, they all, um, with, with their employment package, received a certain amount of um, shares. And so, yeah, they, I mean, you know, um, based on tenure and based on, you know, performance, and obviously uh, they all stayed <laughs> um, and everybody performed very well. So when we sold the company, um, and, you know, it was one of those days where people opened up their bank account and, and found quite a bit of money there because they earned it, you know, and I could not have done it without them. I, I think that does, I think it goes a long way as far as making sure that you're taking care of the people who are getting out of bed for you every day to go and, and work and spend time. Um, but they wanted to be there. And I think everyone was very passionate about what we were doing, passionate about the philosophy and um, they weren't just talking about it or selling it. They were actually living it. Um, and I think that makes all the difference in the world. You, you want to hire people who are already passionate about the brand, not somebody who calls up and you have to teach them about it. They're, they're telling you about it. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so you get, you know, I, I try to try to interview every single person we hire and talk to them like I'm talking to you right now and listen to them and listen to their attitudes and listen to the, where they've been. And it's not, you know, it's, 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 it's pretty quick that you can you can see or you can hear um with somebody and you hear their values you know you 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 get them to talk enough and you can really tell what kind of people they are and um so that's that's really how i how i built the team just trying to find people with shared values um kind people um understated people i don't like cocky i don't like competitive and we're not here to uh, beat out the next brand we're here to help people we're here to help people with their skin and we're here to share our philosophy. And, and, and that's where I think, you know, and, and that's what I've really preached um, all along. And that's really what I believe. So I'm curious when it came to like, um, like in the early days, so that's something you decided you would do out the gate. You would do an employee stock options plan when you start hiring people. Well, you know, it's, it's something I always knew I wanted to do. But it's not something I even knew where to begin. You know, I, I, I was a part of a company. I worked for a company, a startup software company years ago. And I worked there for two, three years. And I never asked for stock. Um, and then they sold the company. And everyone was screaming up and down, jumping for joy, because there was a bunch of new millionaires in the room. Um, but there were a lot of us there who worked there that didn't get anything. So I remember that day. So when I started my company, I always thought, you know, if I had the opportunity to do the same thing, but not the same thing, but do, do it the opposite way, which is to make everybody an owner who works for, for us, then the end, then when we have that party, every, you know, we're all going to be jumping up and down. It's not just going to be 10 people in the corner. It's going to be everyone. 
And so I knew that I wanted to do that. It wasn't until I brought in a private equity firm, BMG, where we sat down because then we, you know, they had a lawyer they brought in to help represent. And, you know, you, 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 you go through all that stuff. How do you want this company to be set up? And, you know, they asked the question, you know, and I said, absolutely. This is, do you want to do it this way? Or do you want to do it this way? And I said, I want to do it this way. I want to make every good. They were telling me examples of what different founders had done in the past. And this founder, you know, decided not to do it that way. This founder decided to give some employees some ownership, this founder, you know, and I said, I want to give every single employee from the receptionist up to the CEO, um, a part of this company. And so that, that's, that was what we did. So I guess at that point in time, when you brought in private equity, um, that you, you were aware that you wanted to sell the company, right? Absolutely. I was, yes. I didn't know uh, how long I had no idea to who or anything like that. Um, and I, and I also knew that I didn't have to sell it for five years. If we, if we brought them on, that was kind of our deal that, you know, it was like in five years, if we didn't want to sell it, we could buy them out or we could, you know, sell it or we could sell it before them. You know? So yes, I, I did know that. Oh, okay. Interesting. So, um, I'd love to talk a, a little more and delve a little deeper um, around the culture and, and perhaps things that you did because, like all, like it, I, I assume, like um, you know, like uh, that, that's that's incredible retention, and I assume some of those people would have vested as well, so they still s- stuck around um, when they wouldn't need to. So I'd I'd love to hear, like, what what things do you think? that was unique about your company culture that um, made it a great place to work? You know, I, I, I have to say, I think that sometimes I think that behavior is allowed and sometimes I think that there's a push to be competitive and a push to be cutthroat and a push to be competitive with each other and also with other brands. And I just, for me, you know, I just don't like that style. For me, I feel like you know, I, I like to be more understated. Um, I like to think of myself as a kind person. I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty shy. I, I get my feelings hurt easily, so I'm super sensitive. I really wanted people in my company that have the same sensibility. I, I, I don't like mean girl stuff. I don't like to be exclusive. I don't like people getting left out. Um, I like to um, be honest. I like to, to be transparent. Um, you know, there's a lot of times when people on my team have come to me and said, you know, hey, you know, how do we explain that we just changed the packaging on, you know, Protini? And, you know, my answer is always the same. Um, anyone will tell you that. Just tell the truth. Because a lot of times I think brands try to sugarcoat things or, you know, for whatever reason, they come up with a different story. And I, I never understood that. I always didn't. I never understood why you couldn't just say, you know what? we screwed up or, you know, that formulation wasn't good because we screwed up. And so we're going to fix it for you. Or we're changing Protini because that jar was discontinued. You know I mean? It was almost like some of the marketing people I had from that had been in the industry weren't, weren't, that was foreign to them. It was foreign to them to not treat the consumer like they're our equal. Like they're, they're like, they're actually, they're, they're paying a lot of money for our products and we owe them like tip top treatment. So I always, so I think that there's this brand consumer thing. And so I was always really careful to hire people 
who were kind, understated, um, you know, well-educated, um, invested, passionate, um, inclusive people. And, you know, I think when you make that extra effort and, you know, you really don't put up with, you know, I didn't say now that we've never, you know, terminated anyone. We have terminated people. Not very many. It's happened four or five times in all these years, but it's happened. Um, I'd like to switch gears now and really talk about the brand um, because, mm-hmm. yeah, you've created a brand that, uh, like I said, people in my team were just like really excited that we were interviewing mm-hmm. you and featuring you and they, they're very familiar with Drunk Elephants. So um, what why do you think that is? Well, I mean, I think there could be several different reasons. I mean, I think at the end of the day, the products really have to work. And I think that's why we have the consumer base that we have. Um, But I think in the beginning, you know, if you're just seeing the brand, it's a fun name. Um, It's happy looking. It's a happy brand. Um, We like to have fun. Um, I like to... We like to have, you know, we like, like we like to put animations up on the Instagram. We like to make fun of ourselves. We like to have a sense of humor. Um, we like, you know, to design these packages with bright, happy colors that look great on your cabinet. Um, we like to talk to the consumer like they're our best girlfriend sitting on a couch because that's how we feel. We like to share our philosophy. We don't try to force it down anyone's throat. We, we're just here to share and in an effort to help people. Um, but at the end of the day, all of that is great, but that won't sustain a brand. What sustains a brand is whether or not it works and whether or not the consumer is actually buying something with their money, taking it home and seeing something positive happen. And so, you know, I really, my priority is my consumer period. And I need to deliver something that they, you know, I need to deliver something that actually works. Not that they think works that really does work. Um, and I also need to deliver it along with a new way of thinking about skincare and, and, and giving them hope that this is something they've never tried before. And so, and I think that is the thing that attracts people to the brand. It does represent a different way of thinking. It represents hope. It represents something that's fun. It doesn't take itself very seriously. And so it's not intimidating to the consumer. Um, it's very inviting. It's very welcoming. It's kind, it's happy, it's fun, um, and it works. And so I think people feel good about, you know, supporting something that they get results from. And I just think it's that simple. I love it. Um, and do you think, like, it sounds like up, like uh, so far from our conversation, it sounds like a lot of things have worked. Um, do you think that there's anything that you would have done differently or anything that didn't work or experiences you could share with our audience there? There have been lots of situations on the way that you kind of, you know, you stop and go, okay, what, what are we going to do now? Or how are we going to do this? Or I, I tend not to look back at some of that stuff and as, as big mistakes, because I think every single time I've made mistakes and I've made plenty, I, they've ended up being things that have sort of pushed us in a new direction, possibly in a better way. I think the path we took really helped us grow in the right way. And I don't think that, you know, I mean, yes, there, there, there are things that I maybe would have chosen not to do along the way. Um, there have been mistakes I've made that I've had to immediately fix, but that's 
every mistake we've made, we've immediately and openly fixed um, publicly. You know, we don't try to hide it. I'll tell you what one thing I wish I would have done. I wish that in my effort to help people on social media answer all the questions and really be connected and learn there, I wish that I wouldn't have read, you know, wouldn't have gotten sucked in by some of the mean stuff that happens out there. Because my whole my whole reason for being, I think, is because I didn't look around and I didn't look at other brands and I didn't look at, I, all I cared about really was the feedback from my consumer, which is always constructive. But then you go out there, you start reading other stuff, it sort of takes you off track. And I know that sounds like such a small thing, but when you live on, when you live on social media and you really try, you're really there trying to help, that can be, I mean, I think it's a very toxic, it can be a very toxic environment on there. If you read too much, you know? That may not be the best answer, but I'm just trying to think of things I've done or wasted my time on over these years that I wish I could take back, you know? Yeah, no, that's totally fine. All you can, all you can do is, um, you're, you're very, very open. I can see from our conversation, you're a very open, honest person and extremely self-aware. So if there is nothing that like you would change or any, any big mistakes that, um, you'd like to highlight, that's totally fine. Yeah. I, I really appreciate like the things that have gone wrong. Self-correction is so important. I always thought when something would happen, I always thought, wow, this is this is eye-opening and this is great and this tells us that we need to do this now. And then you correct. And then, you know, it always ends up being gratifying because it's nice to be accountable for your own stuff and it's nice to acknowledge it, fix it, and move on. I don't think there's any of that's the best way to grow. Yeah, I agree 100%. So um, we have to work towards wrapping up. So a um, couple more questions. Uh, one, any like final words that you'd like to share? And then uh, two, where's the best place people can find out more about yourself and your work? You know, I think, I think what I would say is that just, you know, for to somebody who's building a brand, someone who's starting out is, I think it's super tempting to try to look what's already out there look at what your competition is going to be and try to be better than your competition or outsmart your competition. And I think that's a mistake. Um, I think what you, what people, what founders and what entrepreneurs should be doing is just pulling from their gut, from their own needs as a consumer and really just following that. Like there's a lot of people out there in the world, too many to please. But if you focus on one person, which is yourself, the founder, the, the entrepreneur, there's going to be a lot of people out there like you and they're going to have your same needs, wants, desires. Right. And I think it's, it's just pulling from your gut, pulling from your, your own idea, your own vision and not listening so much to a bunch of the noise. It makes you unique. It makes you stand out and, and, and it makes sure that you're bringing something to the market that really is different and unique and not coming from, it's not, it's not, you know, you're not, you're not pulling from someone else's work. It's really coming from a, a, um, a special place that way, and and and, it, and it's natural that way. And I, you know, and you can run a brand that way and grow a brand that way because if you're always pulling from the same place, then you're always on the same track. You're not trying to be someone you're not. Just be yourself. You know, that's that's the main thing I think that has helped me grow this brand and 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 keep this brand unique. It has a strong DNA. We really know who we are, and we're not trying to change or switch up our story to keep up we just are who we are and i think to learn more about me and the brand you know i mean we have a lot of information on our website 
I mean, I've done a ton of interviews um, that are out there where, you know, I've, I've shared a, a lot out there about my, the way I started the brand and, and, you know, there's countless interviews online, but um, I would say also on Sundays on social media, on drunk elephant um, Instagram, we, we go on on Sundays and people ask questions and they can ask any question they want. And we answer every question. And um, it's, it's, to learn about the brand and learn about our philosophy and learn about how to use the products and learn about ingredients and, and, you know, to hear constructive feedback and constructive criticism and people ask questions when they get, you know, confused about something they're doing with the line. And we answer all that. And and I think it's a quick way to go back and go back every, some Sundays we skip, most Sundays are there. There's a, there's a, there's a hashtag, you know, social, social Sunday. And, you know, you can, you, reading through those is going to tell you everything anybody would want to know, I think. That's really fascinating. Awesome. Well, look, um, I won't take any more of your time, Tiffany, but thank you so much. That was a really amazing interview, and I, I think it will help a lot of founders. So thank you for taking the time. Oh, thank you so much for, for, um, for including me. Thank you. It's nice to talk to you. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.